The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. To those who visit Mickey D's for their favorite breakfast item and then go somewhere else for coffee, give this Mickey D's brew a second chance. The glow up was real. Try any size iced coffee brewed with 100% Arabica beans for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with a savory sausage McMuffin with egg for $2.79. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On the show today, the Gospel Coalition came under a lot of heat for a sexually explicit opinion piece. Vermont girls basketball gets a win by losing. Christian colleges stand up to Biden's trans agenda. And lastly in the news, a Christian debate on public school. Our Bible topic today, we're discussing chapter two of Knowing Sin by Mark Jones. So it's a lot of good things to discuss. Let's get into it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hi. And we are so grateful that you're here with us today. Uh, If it's your first time here, don't let the name fool you. Uh, Nikki and I are Christian. We fancy ourselves religious, uh, but the world that we're in, and especially this country that we're in, is increasingly not so, Um, becoming very secular very religionless, if you will. So our hope here, like it is every Saturday, is to kind of look at the news and help Christians figure out how we can live a life that's pleasing to God in this, you know, crazy secular world that we find ourselves in. So we do got a lot of really good stories to get to today. I'm a bit under the weather, so pray for me if my voice kind of gets a little bit rough. Maybe it makes me sound like Clint Eastwood, and that's awesome. (laughs) But uh, otherwise, forgive me for that. But before we get into all the news and everything, honey, is there anything you would like to say? I just continued prayers for our move that we would pass our move out inspection. Um, I did hire someone to clean. I don't know if I said that last time, but but I've been cleaning anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Try to make it easy on the girl that's going to clean. You always want to do a move out clean for a house cleaner. Because she just does all the cleaning and then pays you to come in and sweep the floor afterwards. And it's I'm um, paying for peace of right. mind. That's how I look at it. It's uh, Philippians 2, <sighs> as Jen Wilkins will tell us later on. I don't know if that's a proper application. Anywho, um, pray for, I've mentioned to you guys, William. You know, William, he's suffering with meth addiction, um, still out of jail, but still not doing as good as we hoped he would. So just pray that God will bless him, that he'll break the bonds of that addiction on him, um, give him a heart for righteousness. And then we haven't mentioned Josiah to you guys in a while, but last Monday when I was at the jail, we stopped after our Bible study and met with Josiah, and he's getting out of jail here very soon again. Seems to be doing really well. Uh, He seems to be in a really good place mentally, 
so just, you know, pray that that's true. He's going to move out of the area and uh, just pray that that would be a blessing for him. He'd continue on the narrow path. Uh, just pray for Josiah and William. And then also pray for us during this move. You know, we're not going to be doing our full podcast episode next week. Um, during the move, we'll have daily devotionals that'll come out Monday through Friday, but the podcast we're not going to do. Instead, we're going to try to sit down for, you know, hopefully maybe a 30-minute interview with our pastor, Pastor Bill Kane, wonderful man of God. We've learned a lot from him. So we're trying to work out the details of that. So hopefully that'll be our Saturday episode. No news, just sort of a, a sit down with Pastor Kane and try to pick his brain. His preaching and teaching is very unique in all the churches that we've ever been to, in a good way, in a very good way. So, all right. Before we get into the news, of course, we want to mention to you guys Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Please consider them if you are law enforcement, a first responder, firefighters, a church, missionaries, uh, their travel risk management, their counter, um, counter exploitation training, they do body cam narration training for law enforcement. Very important uh, in today's world. So reach out to Cardinal. There'll be links in the show notes. I don't think you'll be disappointed with what they give you. All righty then. So before we dive into, we're not going to touch on this story too much because it doesn't warrant a lot of discussion. But I do want to briefly mention uh, an article that Nikki talked about, sort of the uh, sexual explicit opinion piece from the gospel coalition. We're not going to go into what he actually writes in here because it's pretty, I think it's pretty shameful to be writing this on a Christian website for the world to see. Yeah, uh, it was cringy. Very <laughs> cringy, awful. Um, but this article I figured we would mention because it has come under the ire of the feminist Christian crowd. They have lost uh, their composure over this article on Twitter, the Beth Allison bars of the world um, have been going on tirades against this. And uh, basically his large point here is that sex points to Christ's salvation and in a fairly graphic manner, even more graphic than you would expect um, just from that title. And I want to mention this because we've talked about this before. I just saw an article on Twitter right before we hit play or record on this, uh, the same exact thing from Christianity Today, um, articles about sex lives for Christians. And Christians need to quit writing these pieces, you know, public sex pieces for the world to read. You know, our sexual relations between Christians, it's inappropriate, you know, mm -hmm. because if it's perverted for the secular world, um, it's more perverted for the Christian world. And we should um, see it that way. You know, I think personally, it's just simply clickbait, yeah. you know, talk about sex and Christians go, Ooh, I can feed my, you know, lust and my sinful passions. But as a Christian, of course, because that makes it okay. Nope. You have no business reading about someone else's sex life, how he thinks you should be um, engaging with your spouse behind closed doors. That is inappropriate. It's clickbait. Shame on gospel coalition, shame on Christianity today. They're very, um, they do this quite regularly and mm -hmm. it worked, right? People were freaking out, getting a whole bunch of clicks on this Gospel Coalition article. And I just want to say shame on them. We should not be having open discussions about this stuff. If you want to talk about this in a 
marriage class at your church, you know, something to that effect, fine. A counseling session with your pastor, fine. But to do this blasted out to the world, it's no different than reading, you know, something in, uh, you know, I don't even know what secular, you know, Maxim magazine or something about you and your, you know, significant other sex life. It's inappropriate. There's just so. too much worldliness coming into the church. Yeah. That's what it is. It's just appealing to the flesh with a Christ Christian label. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, tell the secular world like, hey, come on in. We Christians, we're just as, you mm -hmm. know, carefree and we're just as into sexual, you know, perversions and all sorts of stuff as you are. We just don't call it perversion because we're Christians, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all good, but come on in, you know, give in to all those desires. So I think it's shameful. We just wanted to point that out. Don't go read the article. Don't go to Christianity Today. If anything, send them an email, tell them to quit being perverts, and we would appreciate that. <laughs> all righty then. Now that we got that off our chest, we do have a couple of stories from the realm of Christianity or education today. Obviously, they're all from Christianity, but from education that we want to discuss. Some were good, some were bad, and some we just simply disagree on. Um, so let's start with the good, honey. Do you want to read this headline? I think it's how Christian institutions should take a stand against the evil, the perverseness that we see so rampant in our world today. Can you scroll down a little bit? Oh, there we go. All right. Christian school forfeits girls basketball playoff game against team with trans player. Woo! You want to read that? A girls basketball team at a Christian high school forfeited a state championship game upon learning the opposing team rostered a transgender player. Head of Mid-Vermont Christian School, Vicki Fogg, argued it was unfair and unsafe for her girls to compete against a biological male on the court. We withdrew from the tournament because we believe playing against an opponent with a biological male jeopardizes the fairness of the game and the safety of our players. Allowing biological males to participate in women's sports sets a bad precedent for the future of women's sports in general, Fogg wrote in a statement to Fox News Digital. I absolutely love this. Might mm -hmm. be my favorite women's basketball team in the country, Mid-Vermont um, Christian School. And I think this is just, man, they handled it the right way. Because oftentimes mm -hmm. you'll hear people you know, ask like, well, what is integrity? We talk about this a lot in the military. What is integrity? And usually the answer you'll hear is um, you're doing the right thing when no one's looking, which is a fine answer. Um, I think that works in a lot of senses, but I don't think it goes far enough, in my opinion. I think integrity, especially to the Christian, should be uh, doing what's right, even to our own detriment, even when it goes against what we want or the results and um, negatively for us. We mm -hmm. should be doing what's right. And right. that's what these girls did. They set a, a great standard, I think, for other schools to follow. Yeah, it's doing the right thing, you know, in front of everybody when you know a lot of people aren't going to agree with it. But yeah, because I guarantee you other girls in on other teams in this conference thought the same thing. Oh, yeah. Right. All throughout the Leah Thomas debacle last year, right in the swimming world, you know, other girls thought the same thing, but they didn't have the courage of conviction to actually take a stand. Yeah. And this article goes on in here and it says, the decision uh, cost 
MVCS its place in the tournament. The Eagles forfeit sent long trail to the quarterfinals Friday against number four seed Arlington, um, this news outlet reported. So they got booted from the tournament. They took a stand against the perverseness that they were seeing, and they lost their spot in the tournament, something these girls had worked all year for. You know, if it's a high school, they're probably spent many years honing this craft. And here they are in the quarterfinals, um, and they took a stand for mm-hmm. right and for truth, and they got booted. And this is a tough lesson, but I think it's a lesson our kids need to learn. I think um, we need to tell our kids this story. Yeah. You didn't share it with them yet, but they, they need to see that others are standing up. Like, that's a huge, it seems like a huge disappointment, but like you said, it's a win. Right, because there was probably some pushback by other girls on the team, maybe. You know, they maybe didn't want to go this far, or maybe, you know, but you set the precedent that, like, this is inappropriate. You know, we're Christians at this school. We do not believe in this, and we're going to withdraw. And to me, you know, the verse that jumped out when I read this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, tolerance is a form of loving the world, I'd oh, say. Oh, yeah. And we see tolerance everywhere. We, I mean, that's Christian, uh, that's standard Christian behavior, right? Wringing our hands, getting our prayer closet, no, Lord, please do something. And then we just do nothing, say nothing. You know, maybe we'll just avoid it altogether instead of confrontation. You You're going to ruffle feathers. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's not going to go smoothly. There's going right. to be people who, a lot of people that are mad at you, who don't agree with you. Like you said, maybe some of the girls didn't agree with it on the team. I'm sure they didn't. The parents didn't. You the know, parents. I mean, how much money do the parents spend on these girls? And right. Traveling and oh, well. gear and, you know, all this sort of stuff to just go, now nah, we're bowing out. But I love it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee, like you said, certain girls on that team wanted to play. Um, But we can teach them that standing for the truth is more important than having fun. That should be a lesson, especially at a Christian school. Every practice, every game, um, every bus ride to and from, that should be lessons that we're telling them. As this world, ah, man, goes down the drain morally, we should be having these discussions and making these stances all over the place. Because what a message this sends to the rest of the teams in that league. And it's easy. Like... I mean, it's hard in one sense, but it's an easy thing. Like, we're not dealing with so much persecution as we could be. But if we don't start doing these things now, it's just going to become much harder for everybody. Yeah, we have to stand up to this stuff now. So what a great lesson. Love it. Kudos to the coach, to the athletic department, probably the parents on the team, the girls on the team. Uh, Mid-Vermont is my new favorite girls basketball team. I'll take a Mid-Vermont Christian school over every Brittany Griner on the planet. Um, <laughs> that is a big, big win. Um, even by taking the L, a huge win. So next up from the news this week, another positive news story. Um, do you want to read this headline, babe? Christian College asks Supreme Court to stop Biden's trans dorm directive. And before we get into the news article, I just want to mention, because I read the article, if you see Joyce Meyer here, if you're watching the video, <laughs> I was just thinking. <laughs> but Joyce Meyer, if you're not watching it, she got two tattoos at age 79, and her husband got one at 82, and she did it for the Lord, she says. So 
That's an interesting article. Go read it. Um, very elitist. Did you read it? I did. And whatever, you know, we've talked about Christians getting tattoos on here before. In our opinion, the tattoo itself isn't a sin. Um, I think the sin lies in the prideful reasons we get tattoos. That's where the sin gets. But what irritates, sorry, we can, um, what irritates me about this story, and we won't spend too much time on this. You know, she gets up there and lectures uh, the crowd that she's preaching to. She got a tattoo. She believes Isaiah says that it's right and honoring to God to get a tattoo. But then she says, I've prayed about it, yada, yada. I don't want to hear anybody telling me, you know, clapping back. I've prayed about it. It's fine. And I was like, how elitist to be like, here's my opinion. Everybody listen to me, but don't even bother sending me your opinions. I don't want to hear it. Um, we should be open to the discussion. Anywho, let's get back Very to odd. Christian colleges. <clears throat> um, do you want to open or read this subheading? Religious institutions forced to open girls' dorms, showers to male students who identify as trans. Yeah, this story is crazy. Um, just, yeah, these first couple paragraphs, if you want. A Christian college in Missouri is asking the United States Supreme Court to halt a Biden administration directive that requires schools to allow male students to be housed in women-only dormitories or use the girls' showers. In 2021, President Joe Biden issued an executive order that required the Fair Housing Act anti-discrimination measures to include gender identity under the category of sex. As a result of the change, the college filed suit against the federal government in April 2021, arguing that the new policy would force them to house male students in women's dorms. U.S. District Judge Roseanne Ketchmark of the Western District of Missouri, an appointee of former President Barack Obama, ruled against the college in May 2021. Colleton added that even when HUD interpreted the Fair Housing Act to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity between 2012 and 2020, the department brought no enforcement action against the college. So, yeah, basically, uh, Biden's, you know, HUD department <clears throat> passes some regulation against discriminating on the basis of sex. And that leads to essentially, did it say in here that, um, Basically, that they could. I oh no, that was the other story. But basically, if you identify as male, female, you can go and shower in the other, you know, person's shower, um, live in their dorms. And obviously, a Christian college is not going to be okay with that. So they're filing a lawsuit, and they filed it already and lost the lawsuit. And what was interesting is they said so. This was at the circuit court. They said basically because HUD failed to enforce a law it had passed earlier the law is allowed to stand, right? So, well, we passed a law, but we didn't enforce it. So what's the point of removing the law anyways? Right, like they can enforce it whenever they want. That's the danger. Um, so any consideration <laughs> to the fact that they could, right, like Nikki said, decide to enforce this law at any time, so long as it's on the books, didn't seem to register with the circuit court. And this is a problem that's not just exclusive to colleges and education, but really the government and just our bureaucracies that are out of control at every level. You know, you pass every law under the sun and then selectively enforce them. 
Right. So I think the college is right to fight this. Mm -hmm. I love that they're fighting this. Yeah. Even if they haven't been penalized yet, because the law is on the books and we would be foolish. This college would be foolish to sit and do nothing, just relying on the goodness and the kindness toward the Christian community as really this barrier to future enforcement and punishment, right? That would be foolish on their mm-hmm. behalf. Um, so we've talked about this idea before. This is another example of using your rights to defend your rights before you lose your rights. So kudos to them. Um, I hope that they aren't left out on an island, uh, but I hope other institutions, other law firms jump on board. I think they got a pretty nationally recognized um law firm to uh let me see if i can find yeah the uh alliance defending freedom i think is arguing this case on their behalf which is really good so hopefully um they get a win here if it gets to the supreme court you know maybe they have a good shot but you know this is just a danger i mean we see this in you know law enforcement and you know, the government broadly and the tax code and the IRS code and all these different institutions where it's like, you know, 90,000 pages of regulation. And it's like, well, we didn't enforce it. So what's mm-hmm. the problem? Well, if you're not going to enforce it, get rid of it. Like, eh, we like to make sure yeah. that it's there in case we need to right. enforce it. Yeah. I you think know. you just forget about it. Yeah. So dangerous. We should be doing this. You know, we should be having law uh, departments of colleges running through the books and taking this stuff to court Yeah, um, if they're not already doing that. So two really good stories there um, from the realm of education. And uh, the last news story that we really want to discuss here was a news story that Nikki and I actually disagreed on. We don't disagree very often, um, but we did. And that makes for good discussion. Although I don't think we're terribly far off. I think we probably agree on 99% of it. So do you want to read um, this headline, Um, this story? Well, you can read the headline, honey. Should Christian parents send their children to public schools? Yep. So much like Mm -hmm. kind of the Gospel Coalition and their perverted sex opinion piece, um, Jen Wilkins, who's in this debate, it's more of a discussion. Yeah, it's not a debate. debate. They're not going at each other. Um, She came under a lot of fire this week, Um, you know, from sort of the the Twitter Christian mob. They were kind of jumping all over Jen Wilkinson here. So this debate was part of the Gospel Coalitions. They call it the Good Faith, um, Good Faith Debate Series. It was moderated by this pastor named Jim Davis, I think, who's a pastor from Orlando Grace Church. And it featured Jen Wilkins and this gentleman, Jonathan Pennington. I'm not familiar with him. I'm not familiar with him either. I know Jen Wilkins, but not too familiar with Jonathan. Although, you know, he sounds like they're good friends, probably yeah. one in the same church circles there, um, although they're on different sides of this debate here. Should you or should you not send your children to public school? And this is going to be our sermon recommendation at the end of the show. So we encourage you to listen to it. Whether you have kids, don't have kids, these are discussions that you're probably going to have with Christians that are in your life. You know, if they have kids, if they're, you know, school teachers, all this sort of stuff. 
Um, but it was during this debate there, some of the things that Jen Wilkins said that really got her in some hot water and, you know, led to her having to sort of come back and uh, defend herself, which I think she did rightly. I don't think a lot of the attacks were um, justified on her. And that may be where me and Nikki disagree. But we had this other article, and this is where she sort of uh, comes to her own defense there from the Christian Post. Um, she sort of responds to some of this, um, you know, people kind of getting upset with her stances on this. Um, it says in here, Yeah, it says Wilkins' comments received backlash on social media with some taking issue with her stance. And then podcaster Chris Honholtz wrote, I'm not sure who that is, Jen Wilkin is simply dead wrong here. The community does not have a say in how you choose to educate your children. Your first ministry is always your family, and then you work outward. You don't sacrifice your family because the community needs are somehow more important. And there were many more people. Um, That's kind of what I was thinking. I didn't even read all this, but I was saying something along the same lines. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to? So we're just going to read some of her sort of, um, some of her responses to the people that were upset. Um, well, you can read, you pulled a quote from her, the debate. So do you want to read that quote first from mm -hmm. the debate? Yeah. So I would never say everyone should choose public school, but I would say that we should try really hard to, if at all possible, um, because we believe in the public school ideal. We believe that education is a right. It's necessary for human flourishing. It's good for society. It's a mark of civilization that you have an educated citizenry. They were around children from, oh, this is just, I don't I know if I'm picking quotes. up. Yeah. So she's talking about her children in the public school here, like the positives. They were around children from different socioeconomic levels. They were around children from different racial communities. They were around special needs children. And she says, that's one of my favorite things about the public schools is that children with special needs are actually in uh, with the other children. They have a buddy system to help these kids and they're visible in the lives of these kids every day. So they also had exposure to kids whose home situations were very different than theirs. So just, I don't know, I had a lot to say just about that. Um, just kind of like her ideal um, for like the public school I ideal. Um, and yes, yeah, she, she, her experience with it was the ideal. So that's just kind of what her opinion um, is based off just her experience. Um, so she doesn't really get into all the negative things in public school or even private school. The same issues are going on just because the social contagion is everywhere. Um, so just in light, I think of all the negative that is, um, going around, uh, you know, just things being exposed, the things me and, me and Spencer have talked about the social contagion and also just the things being taught in the curriculum at schools. Of course, 
we're going to kind of be against her opinion because it comes off because she doesn't bring up any of the negative. It just comes off kind of ignorant. And she never homeschooled her kids. So in the other guy, Jonathan, who's in the, having the discussion with her, he at least had his kids in a private school and he homeschooled. So he kind of has a little of both. Um, and I, I personally think um, private school and public school are very similar when it comes to social contagion, at least. It is. And she does make a good argument in here. And it's something we believe, you know, the financial burden that Christian schools mm -hmm. put on most families makes them largely not even an option right, for the majority right. of families. Yeah. You know, we looked at Christian schools when we were, I think, living in Arkansas. And, you know, it was like a cheap Christian school was like six or seven thousand dollars a year. So you're talking what, $28,000 a year that we're supposed to pay for our kids to go to Christian school. Like we just don't have that kind of money. And it's yeah. a shame that they put that sort of financial burden and really even take that option off the table for so many families. Um, yeah. Even though again, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily the ideal place to send your kids to school, but that is a good point that she made point. We agree with. So. Mm -hmm. um, and when she brings up, um, her kids, like the positives, like they got to be around so different socioeconomic levels, children from different racial communities, just the diversity of people. And I was just thinking, well, yeah, you can get that anywhere. It's not just public school. You get that with homeschooling too, especially when you're in a co-op and you're just out and about with other families, just getting together. And plus at church. Yeah. We think the idea of socializing is a reason to send kids to public school is a it's a lie anymore i mean there's so yeah. many opportunities to socialize your kids that the idea that well they need to go to school so they can learn to socialize is i think just wrong i don't think that's a good justification right anymore and then you always hear teachers they're telling kids like you know just stay focused on your work quit talking you're not you don't come to school to socialize but then parents say they gotta go so they can socialize. <laughs> Get your recess period. Well, that's why school is like eight hours long. You're yeah. just shushing kids because they're socializing too much. <laughs> that's true. Um, but yeah, so people everywhere sort of had issues with this. We had uh, even our beloved Christian podcast community, as we are proud members of. They um, actually did a episode on this. I think this is the... Oh, what is this podcast called? Truth Be Known. It's the Truth Be Known podcast on the Christian podcast community. They went in and had a lengthy discussion. They are not fans of Jen Wilkins' opinion on this matter either. Um, but we encourage you to go give that episode a listen, you know, hearing a different point of view uh, from people, you know, godly people. And while you're there, of course... Go ahead and subscribe and follow the Christian podcast community. I think you'd be blessed with it. But um, we do want to, as I mentioned, highlight a couple of the points that she brought up that she was kind of pushing back on that she said were sort of unfair attacks. Because um, I do think it's right to have her, you know, because I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of the attacks, um, I think they were misconstrued. I think she was very selective with her words. I think she was trying to be very careful to not offend people, not mm -hmm. to step on their toes. So 
I do think she deserves credit for that. Do you want to read some of these points, honey? She says, I did not say Christians should send their kids to public school to love their neighbor. This is a mischaracterization of my argument. I did say what's best for my family is only one lens for families who have a choice in education. She continued, I suggested considering an additional lens, the impact withdrawing from public schools has on our communities, particularly on families without a choice in education. I did not say that love of neighbor means we must choose public school. I did say not all public school districts are equal by any means, and to learn firsthand what yours is actually teaching versus listening to hearsay. I did not say our kids should be mis missionaries. I explicit explicitly said the opposite twice. She also stated, I do not think every family with a choice in education has to arrive at the same education choice. I explicitly said this more than once. Yeah, and though that's all true. What she said there, I think, is very accurate. If you listen to her discussion, like I said, I think she was very cautious with her words. She was making sure to not, you know, bash other people's decisions. But that last piece there, that's kind of my first point on why I wanted to discuss this. You know, she says, I don't think every family with a choice in education has to arrive at the same education choice. And um, I agree with that. I don't think Jen Wilkins, you know, even though she has an opinion that I disagree with on sending your kids to public school, I don't think because she has an opinion I disagree with that she deserves to be getting crushed for having a differing opinion. I think in this society, that's what leftists do. That's what the progressives in this nation do, Marxists do, right? The satanic left in this nation demands groupthink, and they bludgeon anyone who steps outside of their sort of accepted norms. And we as Christians should not be like that. And that was my first thought, you know, seeing her get sort of beat up over this. Well, I was just thinking you were saying, like, we, like it's wrong to disagree, like have a different opinion, because I was like, I disagree with her, with her. I disagree with her point of view. Right. And I do too. I, we strongly disagree. I mean, we talk on here, homeschooling is the revolution our nation needs. We're very big advocates of that. I just disagree with people piling on, jumping on her case for having an opinion that goes against sort of the Christian ministry sort of elitist idea. Because she even talks in there that her idea to send her kids to public school was faced with a lot of um, you know, sort of not confrontation, but a lot of people not understanding where here's this girl, you know, leading church, whatever she does at the village church, but you don't homeschool your kids. That's bizarre. And so she had to deal with that. And I just, I don't think piling on her because she has a difference of opinion is the proper way to go. I think. Right. Uh, the reaction of everybody else was maybe extreme. Um, like you can disagree with somebody and not attack them. Is that your, your point? But right. You can disagree. Well, and you can not attack them and also not go, well, she's a heretic and that's apostasy because you don't want to homeschool your kid. I would say, I didn't look at all the comments. Down. You know, <laughs> I don't think, um, you know, because again, you might say, and she does quote a verse in here that I think she gets wrong. I don't think she quotes it properly. I'll try to play that clip. Um, but that's what she believes. She believes that kind of sending her kids to public school, that was kind of 
love, you know, it's considering the community and not Mm -hmm. just yourself. And I think you see this a lot with uh, the love your neighbor crowd, right? You know, Mm -hmm. they, they say you should do everything right that the government demands you to do because it's love your neighbor and like, no, you're wrong in that. But I don't know that we should just be because I mean, how many kids have grown up in public school? And to say like, none of your parents loved you and none of them cared about your Christian upbringing. That's just not true. And obviously you get into the situation of single parents, divorced parents and all I had, you know, it would have been nearly impossible for me to be homeschooled with my mom, who was largely single raising us Could It would have been very challenging, if not nearly impossible. So to sit there and go, you didn't love us properly and you didn't care about our souls, I think is inaccurate. Um, now, she's not that case. She was choosing to send her kids to public school for a different reason. But even still, all I'm saying is she's allowed to have that opinion without being called a heretic. Yeah, and she felt she felt like it was a good choice because it was a good school, like a safe school. Um, Like she were going to mention, like her family was very involved. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So... Her experience led her to thinking that it was a very good idea. Um, But I do want to play this clip. This is where I think she mentions, I think it's Philippians. So let's see if I have this pulled up properly. That are at play, that it is important for us to understand that um, our decision regarding this and even our demeanor toward this has an impact on our community. It doesn't just impact our family. Uh, the most common phrase I hear thrown out in these conversations is, well, I just need to do what's best for my family. And I think that's something that as Christians we have to push back on. Um, Philippians tells us each of you should look not just to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And there's no such thing as a decision that's made just for our families. In fact, even having the gift of the decision at all means that you're a person with more choices than some people. And those who don't have a choice of where they will educate their children will be impacted by your presence, your adult parent presence, not being in the public schools because you've chosen to go somewhere else. Uh, We can look back in not too recent history on this and see the impact of when a large number of Christian parents decide to opt out of the system. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what event she's talking about in recent times um, that we can go back and double check on. But the verse that she quotes there is Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, and that vo- uh, verse reads, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Okay, that can be flipped around to be to do the other thing. Because like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm so glad my kids are back in school. Now I can relax. Well, maybe that's you looking to your own interests and not to the interest of your child. Like you can flip that verse both ways, but she's thinking about the community, you know? Yeah. And her point on that is kind of, you know, if all the Christians and all the, you know, people pull their kids out of these public schools and leave them for dead, well, there's certain kids that aren't going to be able to be pulled out. So now you're just sort of leaving these kids to fend for themselves and you're not considering them as Philippians is telling us to. And uh, I think on the surface, this sounds like it fits with what she's discussing. 
And maybe you could say in a very broad context it does, but this verse is specifically talking about Christ humility, having Christ-like humility. In Philippians, you know, two, kind of one through four or five, I can't remember. It's like servitude and following the example that Christ set for us uh, with a specific uh, emphasis on those in the body of Christ. That's kind of what I think Paul is saying in this verse, not necessarily saying, well, send your kids to public school because it's good for the community. Um, That's that greater good mentality, like good for the, for the, I guess it's called the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, again, I think she's allowed to have that point. I disagree with it. You know, as we said, I mean, I don't think propping up this sort of dying, perverse, increasingly secular public education, because the guy, Jonathan in there, he makes a really good point that part of the problem too with public education is that the education fields are increasingly narrowing. So now all kids are really getting taught is STEM fields because we're such a, you know, a capitalistic, technologically advanced society that, you know, we don't really have time for religion. We don't have time for philosophy. We don't have time for the liberal arts. It's just science, technology, engineering, and math. That's what you need to focus on. And that's also wrong. Um, So we, you know, we think largely the greater good is really finding out a new way to educate our children. Um, You know, and Sadly, right, yeah, some are going to get left behind, and that's a shame, but that's common in everything in human society. Some get left behind. Um, But I think if you're trying to figure out a way to impact the broadest number of people for good, I think it's largely sort of getting out of these government-run institutions that are Mm -hmm. feeding you. And again, it's not every school, right? I have teachers. My sister is a teacher. Her husband's a teacher. If you had to send your kids to school, that's probably a good classroom to send them to because they're not going to really be shoving this sort of progressive propaganda down your throat. But far too many are, and we see it increasing everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I don't think just the doing what's right for the community is, well, prop them all up because we can't leave anybody behind. No, maybe we need to start pulling more out. Create your own community co-ops. This is something mm-hmm. Nikki and I have talked about. Maybe just starting our own you know, not necessarily a daycare, but just a homeschool co-op. Hey man, if you want to homeschool your kid and if they're of school age, just bring them and drop them off at our house. We're not going to necessarily teach them, but we'll give them a safe place to do their education. We'll help them where we can, but then it's your job when they go home to grade their schoolwork, go over it with them, all these sorts of things. Like you can build a better system than just saying, "Right, well, the system we have stinks and it's ruining everybody and dragging them away from God. But if you want to love your neighbor, you better send your kids there. Like, Well, you can have an impact on the community. Like, You don't have to send your kids to public school to have an impact on community. Like, That's just so focused. Like, The only way to like, socialize is public school. The only way to have an impact on the community, get into public school. Like, That's very narrow-minded. Um, just for example, like the kids just making friends in the neighborhood here, the kids, none of them went to the same school with each other. They're all friends, hung out. A couple of them will come over our house, have dinner with us and stay for Bible study. You can have more of an impact on other kids by just inviting the neighbor kids into your home. You know, your kids make friends with them. Like that's better than just sending your kid to public school. And and what? Like, I don't remember 
I don't I really don't get how sending your kid to public school is helping the community. I really I guess I don't understand how it's really a positive. I think it's a thought from a bygone era. Um, you know, because her big thing is, you know, the mark of a advanced civilization is sort of an educated citizenry. And we need to be this educated citizenry if we're going to continue on. And she talks about all of her kids were in the STEM fields. So she's big on that narrowing of education. Um, so I think 50 years ago, that might have been a good argument, right? Because where else were you going to send your kids to get them educated by and large? But that is not the case today with the, with the internet, with all of these, you know, program, I mean, there's thousands of programs to homeschool your kids. There's dozens of free online courses to homeschool your kids. There's, you know, ones that you can pay a little bit of money. We don't pay a fortune for the ones that we use for our kids. There's co-ops, there's church groups, there's, there's hundreds. So like that argument might've held water 50, 60 years ago, but I don't think it holds any um, water today with as technologically advanced as we've become. You can teach your kid anything you want under the sun, even the STEM realms. I mean, there's classes that you can get online for, you know, coding and computer science and, you know, 3D um, animation. There's, um, you know, AI, um, you know, type of schoolwork and science-based classes and math, math. I mean, you can do all of it from the comfort of your home. And then we just think broadly the way that it fixes so many issues in our problem or so many problems in our society with hopefully getting the mothers out of the workforce to the extent that they are, getting them in the homes, raising their kids, training them in the way they should go. But then that also, you know, fixes the problem with, you know, because part of the problem is we feel like we have to send our kids to public school so that we can get two full-time jobs to afford to live in this country. I know. Well, if every home only had one full-time worker, the prices would have to come down. Like that would fix itself over time. Yeah. You would make sacrifices initially, but part of the reason our society is so expensive to live in is because everybody's working 40, 60 hours a week and it's just driving the cost of everything up, you know? So uh, I just think it would solve far more problems than it would, um, than it would cause. And I just think that her thought on public school for the greater good is a uh, a thought from a bygone era. And that's the main, her main, um, I guess, like support, supporting for, I mean, the guy, the Jonathan, like the end, they talk about, you know, what's one takeaway, like a positive from the other person's perspective. And, and that's what he said about her, like, oh, you care about the community. So... I think he was just trying to be nice. Um, I mean, that's good. It seems noble. But, yeah, like you said, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, and he makes it's the weird. point in there, too, where, again, this isn't school 50 years ago. Right? It isn't even school 25 years ago when Nikki and I were in school. You know, schools are getting perverse. They're getting wildly secular, um, not to mention the violence that seems to be exploding on school campuses all around the country. Um, I don't think you need to sort of continue and maintain that status quo uh, because you're afraid some may get left behind. They will, sadly. But she makes the point that, well, you know, if you're 
invested in your schools and you're going to school board meetings and you're meeting the teacher and doing all these sorts of things to where you're engaged in the public school and all of that, then you can, you know, kind of make sure what they're learning and things aren't that bad. But at the same token, if you're that invested as a parent, you could do that with a homeschool and exactly. a co-op and you yeah. can get in your neighborhood and invite other kids and you could keep up on them and you could, you could yeah. still do all of those things, right? It doesn't mean that you have to do one or the other, but the idea that, well, I better send my kids because Timmy down the street might get left behind. Well, you know, there's a hundred kids in that school being perverted and taught, you know, secular um, worldviews and Marxist worldviews, violence, drugs. Yeah, it's best. I don't know how maintaining that status quo helps us as a society. Um, I just it is don't a weird environment it. for kids. Like, I know we didn't go to a good school in junior high. Like, there were fights like every day, fights for no reason, just mostly among, among girls. I think real fights. I never got in a fight. Thankfully, um, one of my friends got beat up for no reason at all. And fights happen all the time. What was it? Seventh and eighth grade. I, I was very uneasy at that school. Um, yeah, it was just an overall unsafe, uneasy environment, not a good environment for learning. So what makes a school good, I wouldn't even say is the curriculum. It's the behavior of the students in a good curriculum in the school doesn't change behavior. Like you're sitting in the classroom and there's kids just goofing off, uh, talking back to the teacher. Most of the time, it was just the teacher correcting somebody. And you just, it wasn't so much like that in high school, but um, yeah, it's just so many wasted hours. Like that's why school has to be so long. <laughs> You're just correcting yeah. kids so you can try to teach. <laughs> but, you know, the positive news is... Um... I think this isn't really catching on everywhere. You know, I think um, there's an article here that says um, that a nonprofit research organization, Urban Institute, finds that private school enrollment increased by 4.3% and homeschool enrollment rose by 30% over the last two years or three years. So, you know, again, Jen Wilkins is allowed to have her opinion, but the beauty is I don't think that that's an opinion that a lot of people are clinging to, you know, 34% largely of people have kind of decided to pull their kids out of public school. And I think that's a positive. Um, and, yeah. you know, just to mention, because one of the points that she makes in there about sending kids to school is kind of the idea of socializing. You know, she talks about how... Um, one of the benefits of public school is you can expose them to, you know, other races and, you know, the disabled and, you know, different people groups and all this sort of stuff, which I think largely is hogwash. I don't think that that's overly valuable to like, well, I hated, a, I hated Native Americans because I never met a Native American. <laughs> so right. now Why? I hate all, na no, I think if you're raised in the right home, you know, you don't need to be around Native Americans to go, oh, I, I trust that they were raised and that's differently. that's just in our country that you fine. can say that. Yeah. Like, okay, in China, are they all exposed to 
<laughs> no, Sweden, no. <laughs> no. But, you know, also the perversion aspect, like we talked about, this article I just read here, it said, the share of Americans who identify as LGBTQ has uh, reached a record 7.2% in 2022, um, up from 7.1 in 2021. And it says nearly one in five members of Gen Z, which is, I think, the kids that are kind of in high school and middle school now, nearly one in five identify themselves as LGBTQ. You don't need to expose your children to, to that. Um, so you could have discussions with them later, like, we already have discussions with our children about these things. You don't need to expose them to it right, in order to teach them. We see what exposing these kids to it does. It's the social contagion we continue to talk about. These kids are being exposed to it more and more frequently, and more and more of them are going, yeah, I want to be LGBTQ as well, um, to the point of one in five Gen Zers. That's a risk you just cannot take with your children. Uh -uh. You cannot roll that dice and go, well, you know, for the sake of the community, I'm just going to risk your eternal soul. Um, God is luck. not I think that's really pleased bad. with that. Like he put them in your care. They're your responsibility. Other children in the school are not your responsibility. Pray for them. But like some of the people have commented, I agree, like you're sacrificing your children um, for the sake of loving the community through the public school. Um, I think if she wants to use that verse, like I was looking at it the other way, I know it's out of context, but putting others first, yeah, your own family first. If you don't even care for your own family, you're, you're like a, like an unbeliever. Yeah. And I think that verse is referencing the body of Christ largely. Um, I think that's what he's getting at there. Not to say that you shouldn't consider the community more broadly, but I think it is kind of taken out of context there. And, and we would just disagree that the best thing for the community is to be involved in public school. I think the best thing for the community is, um, a Christian mindset returning to the community, mm -hmm. having a explosion of people who love God and serve him passionately. That's what saves the community. It's not getting STEM, you know, education while your kid decides they want to, you know, transition from boy to girl. Like that doesn't save a community. Right. If the statistics are correct, what she was saying that a lot of these things are just fear mongering. Um, a lot of the stuff in the news, these articles, isn't true. I don't know. She, her experience was a really good school for her kids. Right. So and that's always she, the case. Right. So, you know, yeah, if you went to public school in Beverly Hills, probably a decent time, right? If you went to public school in Harlem, probably not such a great environment, right? Yeah. So it's hard to be like, well, I sent all my kids to Beverly Hills High School and they loved it. And you're well, like... Yeah, I watched six kids get shot at Harlem High. Not really the same experience, right? Yeah, well, she was saying that she was just, she was really saying it, that like, don't make decisions based on fear. So kind of hinting that people who've taken their kids out of school and homeschooled, just implying that they did it because they believe these articles, the social contagion, all the things we've discussed. So she's kind of, you know, saying that they made their decision based on fear and not an educated decision. She kept saying an educated face based um, instead of a 
Right. And there might be truth to that. Some make that decision out of fear, but the same can be said of the other argument, right? Well, if we homeschool our kids, we won't have enough money. Um, If we homeschool our kids, they won't be socialized. They won't know how to interact with people. If we homeschool our kids, they won't be as smart as their, you know, public school so counterparts, right? So that's kind of right? fear-based too. You're sending yeah, your kid to school. Yeah, fear on both sides. Good I don't point. think it's a legitimate argument. But one point I do want to mention is that she says, um, right when she starts talking, you know, she opens the debate. She's the first one given the floor to speak. She says that her family is filled with public school teachers, filled with administrators, kind of she has folks on the school board in her family. They were all public educated. I think even herself was public educated. She says she's a product of that upbringing. And I just wanted to offer a caution on that point because this is very common. You know, we're all products of our upbringing to Mm -hmm. some degree and a product of those that are in our lives. You know, most people, as we've mentioned on here, get their faith from their parents. I think it's around 60% of Christians get their faith from their parents. Um, But we need to be mindful um, that our lives are directed first and foremost after God's word um, and his commands and not just by our experiences and our influences. Um, You know, this isn't necessarily a big deal when it comes to sending your kids to public school um, because you went to public school, but we see this a lot in the LGBTQ debate, right? A lot of Christians will change their tune on what God's word says about sexual immorality based on who's in their life Mm -hmm. and how they feel about those people, right? Christian parents whose kid becomes homosexual or transgendered, well, all of a sudden, right, it's not uncommon for them to change their mind on what God says about sexual immorality. You know, if their previous beliefs before their kid came out would reflect poorly on this newfound identity, well, then they just change those beliefs. My kid's LGBTQ, um, you know, I can't feel good about myself saying my kids go into hell because of sexual immorality. So I'll just understand the Bible to say that it's no big deal. I'll go to Andy Stanley's church. And so the same thing can be said, right? I went to public school. All my friends, all my family was public school teachers. So public school's great. Hold off, right? You got to be a little bit more considerate. You know, we live in a new age in America today. Um, Things are not the way it was when Jen Wilkins went to school. I don't know how old she is, but she probably went to elementary school at least in the, you know, 70s or 80s, I would imagine. She's probably in her 40s or something. I've heard kids are in their 20s, mid-20s. Yeah, so uh, this is not that public school atmosphere. So uh, Mm -hmm. I just want to make that point, you know. Yeah, she did. I mean, they did at the end talk about like what their kids are doing today. And I don't think any of them mentioned if their kids are walking with the Lord. They talked about what they're doing as careers. And that doesn't matter to me. At the end of the day, is your child walking with the Lord? Do they know the Lord? That is from a Christian perspective. This isn't about their education. This is about raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, that's what the Bible tells us, how to raise our children. Um Yes, we're going to educate them as well, but number one priority is teaching them to fear the Lord. And that was not mentioned by either of them. Yeah, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe it wasn't mentioned because their children are maybe well-known in their communities for maybe. being Christians. So I don't want to assume that they aren't. Um, but someone... But just to be cautious, right? They didn't yeah. mention their spiritual state. Um, so I think, you know, on that point there of all my family, all my experiences. I just caution that 
test everything against the word of God. Whatever conflicts with God's word, God's standard, you got to let it go, even if it ruffles feathers. Um, you know, because when Jen Wilkins went to school, like we said, it was not so perverse, not as violent. Um, you know, most kids aren't living in, I mean, Dallas is a rich area anyways. She might even live in a rich part of a rich city, right? Very different environment than where we went to public school, which is not even nearly as bad as, you know, say you went to Memphis's public school, right? Very different environment. So just times have changed. Don't just be a slave to um, your upbringing, you know, the stuff you were taught. I mean, even with your faith, right? I mean, just because, you know, you might have been taught something about scripture or whatever, if it's not true, according to God's word, have the courage to say, hey, I love you. I just don't see that anymore, right? We need to adhere to God's word, to his commands as mm -hmm. best we understand them, even if it's going to push, you know, some other people into places where they're uncomfortable or they're upset with you. I think you just got to Yeah, do I don't know if when she was in school, they still disciplined uh, children in the schools. If they did, I might send my kids to school. If there they was discipline, knuckles, that was another thing I was going to bring up. I was like, they don't discipline kids like at all. Like they get in, in trouble if they No, you just saw that the video kid of a kid. I mean, I, unless the A kid the that knocked changed, out the teacher. Yeah, she took his switch from him and he yeah. basically almost beat her to death. Like... Yeah, I'm not sending my kids to that school. So, yeah, so things are definitely different today. If kids aren't being disciplined there, and I mean, parents aren't even with their kids all day, they're not getting disciplined at all anywhere then. So, and that was, I'll make one last point here on the public school thing, you know, because he, Jonathan, talked about time and what a value it was yeah. to have time with your kids. And Jen does mention in there that's the one thing she would regret is that she didn't get the time with her kids. And, um, you know, she even made the case that not only were her kids at school for eight hours a day, but when they came home and her, mm -hmm. she was trying to make the point from a positive that her kids were really working hard, but right. And then she was involved in helping them after school. Right. But they would just do homework all night. Yeah. And you're like, so the whole day for 12 years is just sort of gone. And what a, uh, I mean, like I don't their feel whole like... lives are about school, their home. It's about school. What do you talk with? them about school because you want to know what happened in their life because you're not a part of their life when they're all at school all day. So everything is school. Yeah. And I just think that this rush to have kids educated and in the workforce is, I think it's missing the mark. You know, I used to ask kids this when I was a recruiter in the Air Force and I would go and, you know, ask them what they're going to do after high school. And like clockwork, they would say, oh, I'm going to college. Cool. What are you going to college for? I don't know. Where are you going to college? Oh, like Washington University. Like, okay, you're going to spend 50 grand a year on something. You have no idea what you're going to do. And then I would ask them all like, well, do you have older brothers? And for the ones that did, I would say, well, how old is he? And if, you know, 26, 28, I would say, is he well-established in the career of his choice? Is he advancing in that career and making a good living? And almost 90% of the time, they'd be like, no, he lives at home. No, he doesn't even work in the job. He got a degree in. And you're like, of course they don't. Nobody knows really what they want to do until they're 30. So the idea that you got to be like, I'm going to rush my kids through school and AP classes. I'm going to get them in college at 18, taking any amount of debt that you can to graduate at 22 and get in the workforce. Why? Let them just slow roll it. Let them take till they're 25. Let them go to college part time. Let them work. Let them figure out what they actually enjoy. You know, all these sorts of things, I don't think 
The rush. We need yeah. to rush them into this sort of materialistic, you know, uh, monetary slave to the financial system and workforce. I think that's proven to be a bad model. Teach your children to be content because so many people aren't content and then they're just drowning in debt. Um, yeah, just teach them to not love the world, number one. And they won't go in debt, hopefully. Yeah. Just to not live like the rest of the world, to live simply. I think that's the winning formula. So do you have any last thoughts on... Jen Wilkins, the news, anything that we've talked about before we roll into our Bible topic? No, I was going to bring up that what you said about time being yeah, being the main thing. They're, they grow up so fast. If you have the choice, homeschooling is fun. You're with your kids more. I know our culture is all about mommy needs a bottle of wine and kids need to get out of my face. I'm really tired of that, um, that kind of talk. I know they joke, but I think some people are kind of serious about that. Yeah. They're precious. Yes, they might. You might need a little break now and then, but it's not like they can't be home all day with you and do life with you. And they want to be with you. I mean, we don't think about that, but they would rather be home. Um, they they love you and they want to be around you. Um so consider that too. And even if they don't, you're the parent, make them. <laughs> That's what God gave us authority for. So, um, The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. All right. This week in our Bible topic, we are on chapter two of Knowing Sin. And this is the chapter is titled Sin's Contagion, Born This Way. Uh, you can kind of guess what it's going to be speaking about it's, uh, on the topic of original sin and how we're all affected by Adam's sin um, in the garden. And uh, this is the book, like I guess mentioned, Knowing Sin by Mark Jones. We'll have links in the show notes. You can go check that out for yourself. And while you're there, we have affiliate links for all sorts of stuff. Uh, consider using those next time you're shopping. It helps to channel out. doesn't cost you anything. You can buy whatever you want. Knowing Sin, you can buy a, a bracelet. You can buy chunky peanut butter. Makes no difference. Um, but it would certainly help us out and we'd appreciate it. So last week in chapter one of the book, we kind of looked at the introduction in chapter one and the author, among many things, he discussed the heresy of Pelagianism, which is basically teaching that Adam's sin was solely his own and it did not affect anyone else. Hmm. Um, and while the author, Mark Jones, didn't mention Pelagianism here in chapter two, this chapter really attacks that notion throughout the entirety of it. Um, and it's worth noting that Pelagianism, that idea that original sin doesn't exist, Adam's sin was his own. It was kind of decreed a heresy as far back as AD 300, though I think there's probably still people that adhere to that mindset today. Um, but the stance that the author makes clear, um, as well as Scripture makes abundantly clear, 
um, is that we're all affected by the fall, he says. Um, he writes, why did we become sinners? Maybe summed up in two words, original sin. This doctrine is, as it has been quipped, the only empirically verifiable Christian doctrine. Even though it is empirically verifiable, it is still highly offensive to many, even strangely to some in the church. And we would absolutely agree with that. That is the hardest thing for people to accept, though. It is kind of like points to our pride that we reject it. You yeah. know, it's like, well, there's number one clue there. Yeah, I mean, it's hard <laughs> for us. And, you know, but he says there, right, that it's the only empirically verifiable Christian doctrine. And basically, it's the only thing that we know without a doubt. Mm -hmm. You know, you might be able to argue on, uh, you know, election. You might be able to argue on um, the gifts of the spirit, all these sorts of things. Not a whole lot of people should be arguing on the idea that we're all sinners um, because we see the sins that everyone commits. And ultimately, we know the sins that we commit. Um, but this does become a problem, especially in our modern society with, you know, pastors like Andy Stanley that we talked about, these sort of progressive pastors, the Church of England types that just whitewash people's sin nature. So this empirically true doctrine that we should all know about is kind of being whitewashed where um, this, you know, affirmation culture mm -hmm. that we in yeah. or that we're in kind of seems to dismiss a lot of our sin nature. Yeah, nobody will call out to God. Like, you have to, yeah, you have to talk about it. You have to offend some people. <laughs> yeah, because I think to convince people that sin is love, you know, in the sense of like homosexuality or sexual immorality, mm -hmm. or that God accepts you as you are and you don't need to change, I think those are damaging heresies to teach people. You know, God have mercy on those type of affirmation preachers. Uh, Mark Jones notes near the end of chapter two, he says, most create their own hierarchies of sins. We usually are able to make the worst sins those ones we don't think we are prone to commit. Mm -hmm. And I think this is such a good point. You know, we often purposefully blind ourselves to our own depravity, right? We all know Adolf Hitler, right? Ah, he was a bad guy. Super easy to see. Maybe those murderers, super easy to see how bad guys they are. They're terrible. But you, ah, you're just living with your boyfriend out of wedlock. You love each other, right? So you're basically married in God's eyes already. Like that is the kind of lie that we tell ourselves. Yeah, well, Hitler, that was a sinner, not me. I just live with my boyfriend out of wedlock. We're basically married already. Because you're not hurting somebody. You're not. <clears throat> well, in love is you're love. Not don't enemies you? with the person you're sinning with. You're both sinning against God. Nobody considers hurting God. Right. And that's the Psalm 51, David's cry of repentance, you know, against you only have yeah. I sinned, which ultimately every sin is only against God it's because like, he's the lawgiver. Yeah. We only consider sin and how it affects other people, not God. What is he said? Um, nobody thinks of God. They just think about each other. I didn't hurt yeah. him. I didn't. Yeah. And it's uh, a point that our pastor brought up, I think last weekend um, during his sermon and I don't know if he said all um, or if he just said most. So I'll just couch it by saying in most places in scripture, wherever it's listed, the sins that we're to, to avoid, sexual immorality is listed first, interestingly. 
So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, sexual immorality is listed first. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, sexual immorality is listed first. 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 24, he speaks to fleeing youthful lust first. Ephesians 5, 3, sexual immorality is listed first. Colossians 3, 5, sexual immorality is listed first. Hmm. You know, so you may be no murderer, but sexual immorality seemed to be far more concerning to the early church and the apostles than even murder, even greed and all these yeah, things. Yeah, like murder wasn't brought up very often. Yeah, like yeah. sexual immorality and drunkenness was far more often because they knew, right? Yeah, of course we know murder is a sin, but that drunkenness, that's also a sin, right? Because it's more of a lifestyle. You're not liking a lifestyle of murder. It's the things that you choose as a lifestyle. Yeah, that covetousness, mm -hmm. your envy, all these sorts of things. And um, it's a shame for us to go, well, no, that guy's a sinner. Oh, yeah, he's a sinner. But me? No, I mean, I'm just fine. And those are the lies we can't tell ourselves, you know, and we have to come to grips with this original sin. Um, he makes note in there, you know, on the sixth day, right, we all remember God declared his creation was good. Um, then Adam falls shortly after. And we read both before and after the flood that all men were sinful. Do you want to read Genesis 6, 5, honey? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah, and that was before the flood, and then he floods the earth, and after the flood, do you want to read Genesis 8, 21? I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So it's yeah. just the intention. Like, when I was reading that, it jumped out at me, and I'm like, it's about the intention. So I was telling Spencer, like, even, like, atheists with their good works, because they'll say, like, oh there's Christians who are, who do more wicked things and hypocritical than some atheists. Well, it's about the intent of the heart here. That That's what stuck out to me. So the atheist who boasts of his good works, what's the intent of his heart to glorify himself, to boast and right. boasting is pride and that's sin. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thomas Boston, I've shared this quote with the guys at jail last week. He's a 16th, 17th century Scottish clergyman. He said, a righteous man may make a righteous work, but no work of any unrighteous man can make him righteous. Now we become righteous only by faith through the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. Yeah, so you can be a sinner and do righteous things. It makes no difference. It doesn't change your standing before God one bit. Mm -hmm. Because as Genesis 8.1 said, the intention of our heart is evil from our youth. So even when we're doing things that we would suppose are righteous um, or good, I mean, oftentimes our intentions, our motivations are probably wrong. Mm -hmm. And even still, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. So, Well, even the Pharisees were called out for doing their good deeds before others, even their prayers for others to hear um, the intent of their heart was evil. Yeah. You're doing good, but with evil intent. So we could go through, you know, he lists a lot of verses in this chapter there. You could go through um, to sort of underpin this idea of original sin. Um, they are plentiful. Um, our baked in sin nature is spoken of often in scripture. 
I'll just mention lastly here, Psalm 143, verse 2. It says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Hmm. Um, Original sin affects all of us. It's unavoidable. No amount of denial, ignorance, or even affirmation can make that less true. Um, The thing you have to come to grips with is that you are guilty before a holy and righteous God. Every one of us, we are guilty basically from the time of our birth because of original sin. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you want to read this? Paul tells us um, basically Mm -hmm. this point very eloquently in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so good there. He says, you know, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So you may not have sinned in the same way as Adam, but you're still um, affected by Adam's sin. Death reigns over you. Um, But that free gift of salvation. So that's what we want to impart with you or impart to you here from chapter two on really original sin. is that you are a sinner and you are deserving of God's righteous justice as we all are, as Nikki and I are, we are deserving of God's righteous justice. Um, Therefore, the Bible tells us to compel you to come in. Um, Luke chapter 14, verse 23 says to go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Mm. Um, So we want to compel you to come in. If you've not come into the banquet already, you know, don't wait until tomorrow Don't wait till you overcome whatever sin you think is plaguing you, um, whatever sin has a hold on you. Come in now, you know, accept Christ's free gift of salvation. Do it today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So do you have any last thoughts here on original sin? Uh, Jen Wilkins, any of the news stories that we talked about today? No. (laughs) Yeah. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Amen. So like I mentioned, our Bible topic for today, or our, I'm sorry, our sermon recommendation for today is going to be the debate or discussion, if you want to call it that, by Jen Wilkins and Jonathan Pennington. Very good discussion. They're very cordial with each other. And mm-hmm. I think they both bring up good points. Again, I don't agree with Jen Wilkins, but I don't think she needs to be nailed to a cross for her opinions. I think they're very commonplace. Um, So that's my only big take on that there. But 
That is all we have for you guys today. We'll be back with daily devotionals on Monday and hopefully an interview with our pastor, Bill Kane. All right, God bless. Mm-hmm.